Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the Judges over Israel as we pick up in Judges chapter 1, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Shall we turn in our Bibles now to the book of Judges? Through Moses, the children of Israel were led out of Egypt, and God began to form a national kind of an identity and began to forge the beginnings of a nation. At the death of Moses, Joshua, who was the servant of Moses, took over and continued to lead the people now into the land that God had promised to their father Abraham that should be theirs, that they should inhabit, and thus God keeping his covenant and his word to Abraham. Now the book of Judges takes up the next period in their history. There were some 13 judges over Israel. They became sort of quasi-leaders of Israel. They would judge in the matters of the people. They were leaders, but never fully empowered by the people as, as rulers. They were in an interim period between Joshua and the establishing of a monarchy at which time Saul became the first king over Israel. So this book of Judges covers this period of time between the death of Joshua and the coming in of Samuel, who was the final judge over Israel and who anointed Saul to be the first king over Israel, where their form of government was changed from a theocracy, God ruling over the people, to a monarchy. Now, the theocracy was not successful simply because the people would not submit to the rule of God. In the book of Judges, we find a pattern that emerges, a very tragic pattern. And that is during the time when they were blessed at ease without war, they would turn to other gods and begin to worship Baal and Ashtoreth and the various gods of the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Hittites and the Jebusites, the people in the land in which they were dwelling. And because of their apostasy, God would give them over into the hand of their enemies and they would be oppressed by their enemies. And being oppressed by their enemies, they would cry out unto the Lord and the Lord would raise up a judge to be a deliverer. And they would be delivered from the oppression of their enemies and they would have a period of prosperity. The judge would die and back into the same old pattern of turning their backs on God and beginning again to worship Baal and the other gods in the groves and all. And it's just a sad, tragic story of failure. The failure of consistency 
in the worship of God and in the honoring of God. So as we enter into the book of Judges, we enter the scene at the death of Joshua there in verse 1. Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? Now you remember the book of Joshua closed where the people were in the land, but there was yet much of the land that was not yet conquered. They had not completely driven out the enemies. They had not yet taken all of the territories that God had promised unto them. So when Joshua died, they inquired and they said, who shall go up first to take the land that God has given. And so the Lord spoke and said, Judah shall go first. Now you remember that Judah was given that land south of Jerusalem. And so Judah said to Simeon, whose lot was the extreme south, even south of Judah down towards Beersheba and all, said to Simeon, you go up and help us take our portion and then we'll help you to take your portion. And so Judah began to attack the cities and take the cities and possess the cities that God had apportioned unto Judah. And they came to Bezek, and there they killed 10,000 men of Bezek and took the city. And Adonai Bezek, now Adonai means Lord, so he was the Lord of Bezek or the king of Bezek. They captured him and they cut off his thumbs and his great toes. And Adonai Bezek said, there have been 60 or 70 kings that have gathered their meat under my table without their thumbs and toes, as I have done, so hath God requited me. So it was a practice, I guess, of this particular king, the Lord of Bezek, to when he would conquer a king to cut off his great toes and his thumbs and he would actually be there at the king's table, 70 kings he had conquered this way and he said, as I have done, now God has requited unto me. There's a very interesting scripture. It declares, as a man soweth, so shall he also reap. And so many times a person can say, as I have done, so has God requited unto me. For in the same manner in which ye judge, ye shall be judged. In whatever measure you meet, it shall be meted out to you. As I have done, so has God requited me. And the, they fought with the, against Jerusalem, and they had taken it. They'd smitten it with the edge of the sword. Then they went down to fight against the Canaanites that dwelt in the mountain and in the south and in the valley. And they went against the Canaanites in Hebron. And there Caleb said, The one who takes Kirjath Zephyr, I will give him Aksa, my daughter, as a wife. And so Othniel, who was the nephew of 
Caleb, or the cousin of Oxah, went up and took the city. And so Caleb gave her uh, to him for a wife. And so she then came to her dad and asked for springs. And the story is told there in chapter 1 of how he gave her the upper and the lower springs uh, for that area. Then we have the tragic story in verse 21. The children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabit Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. The house of Joseph went up against Bethel. The Lord was with them. They found a man and they said, tell us where the secret entrance to Bethel is and we will spare you. So the man showed them the entrance to the city of Bethel. They went in and destroyed it, but they saved the man and his house alive who went out and established another city, named it after the original name of Bethel, which is Luz. But then Manasseh, in verse 27, did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Sheen and her towns, nor Tanakh and her towns, nor the other cities, including here is Megiddo. Any of you that have been in, in Israel have seen the ruins of Megiddo. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites. Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kidron and several cities. Neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko or of Sidon. And so the story is, is that of an incomplete victory. Now, God had told them, when you come into the land, you're to utterly drive out the inhabitants thereof. You're not to make any covenant of peace with them. You're not to dwell together and try to coexist with them in peaceful terms. Utterly drive them out was the command of God. But here is a failure on their part to obey the voice of God. Now, there was no doubt a rationale in their minds. They no doubt thought, well, if we allow these people to stay here, actually they want to be on friendly terms, they'll be strengthened by us, we can be strengthened by them being here, and we ought to be able to live peaceably with them, coexist together, and they can be our servants, they can cut our wood for us and gather, you know, our crops and they can build our buildings and we'll just use them. Whatever the rationale is, it is wrong if it is opposed to what God has ordered. Now, many times in our own minds, what God has required or what God has commanded of us doesn't seem to be for our best interest. It so often seems that we can figure out a better plan than God did. And we are often guilty, as were the children of Israel, of not completely obeying the command of the Lord because we don't understand why God commanded it. It doesn't make sense to us. But God has a reason for everything that he commands. 
And whether it makes sense to me or not, it is important that I obey the commandment of God. Because you'll always find out that God always knew what he was talking about. And there was a reason behind the command. Now, the command to utterly exterminate the people seems to be harsh, it seems to be cruel. To utterly drive them out from their land, that seems to be a very cruel command. And it may be that the people just felt, well, that's too harsh, that's too cruel. We don't want to do that. And thus, in disobeying God, it brought ultimate problems to their children, to their descendants. It became a perennial problem afterwards because they failed to completely obey the voice of the Lord. So in chapter 2 we read, And the angel of the Lord came from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and brought you into the land which I swear to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of the land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore, I also said I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare unto you. And it shall come to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words to all the children of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept, and they called the name of the place Bochim, which means weepers, and they sacrificed unto the Lord. So the angel of the Lord came and said, you failed. God said he would never break his covenant with you. But they broke the covenant. God is always faithful to his side of the covenant. It is man who breaks the covenant with God, not God who breaks the covenant with man. No man can ever say, God broke his covenant with me. Not so. Man is guilty of breaking his covenant with God, his part of the covenant with God, but God doesn't break his covenant with man. And so the angel said, you've broken the covenant. You've made the league. You've made the treaties. You've left their places of worship, their altars, their idols. And now they're going to be like traps, snares to you. And the people wept. They sacrificed unto God, but they didn't change. Now that, that is so typical of, of, of so many people today. God lays a heavy trip on them. Oh, I'm so sorry, God, I'm so sorry. And they weep, but they don't change. So there's very little value to the repentance. There seems to be a vast difference between sorrow and true repentance. Many people out of sorrow weep, truly weep, because of sorrow. But it doesn't really indicate always that there is repentance just because you're weeping. I don't suppose there is a single man in the county jail that isn't sorry for the crime that got him there. But not necessarily sorry that he did it, but sorry for the mistake that got him caught. 
So you weep over your apprehension. You weep over the fact that I've been apprehended, but you don't really have a true repentance for the things that you were doing. They're released, they go back out and do the things again. So often means there is no repentance. The children of Israel, they wept. Looking at it, you say, oh my, isn't that wonderful? They're weeping. God's got to them. No, he didn't. It's just a surface emotional experience. They're going to wail and weep for a while and go right back out and do the same thing over again. They're still not going to drive out the enemy. They're still not going to obey the voice of God. They're going to continue in their same path. And so there is a form of religion, a form of godliness, but no true repentance. And, and that same condition continues to exist to the present day. Now, these people that they left in the land did become a snare. The gods that they did not destroy became as thorns, and soon we find them worshiping these gods that they left in the land. And it was the constant problem through their history is their worship of the gods of the land and the leaving of the true and the living God and worshiping these other gods so that Jeremiah cried out unto the people, have you ever seen anything like this in the history of mankind where a people will turn from their God, even which are not gods, to worship another God? And yet God cried, My people have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and have hewn out for themselves cisterns, cisterns that can hold no water the lament of God over Israel. And it was, it was their failure in the beginning. Had these forefathers been obedient to God, they could have spared the nation countless misery, countless woes. But their disobedience only opened the door for a future of calamity. And so the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all of the great works of the Lord, which he did in Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at 110 years of age, and they buried him there in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gash, and there arose another generation after them, that is, after Joshua's generation, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam, and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them, and they bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger, and they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth, the goddess of heaven, or the... the Ashtart of the Greeks or Isis, the female deity of 
ancient history. Now, it is tragic that somehow the parents failed to communicate unto their children the power and the work of God. The generation died off. There arose another generation, it declares, after them which did not know Jehovah, nor yet the works that he had done for their fathers in Egypt. Now the purpose of the Passover was to yearly open the door of opportunity for them to relate to the children of Israel God's great deliverance out of the hand of the Egyptians. In fact, there were questions designed in the Passover service that the children would ask that would give the parents the opportunity to rehearse God's great power. What makes this night different from all other nights in the year? We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Judges on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Judges 1 through 2 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you this week, working in your life, His glorious work. May this be a time of spiritual growth as you get into the Word and as you study and as you yield your life to God, that His love might be manifested through you. And so God bless you, fill you with His Spirit, keep you in His love. In the name of Jesus. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Guess what? I just got a new book by Pastor Chuck Smith. What? Pastor Chuck doesn't write books for kids, just big people. Yeah, he does. Hey, I heard about that too. My mom told me about it. It's called The Story of Noah. And not only that, Pastor Chuck even read it to me. Pastor Chuck read you the book? Yep, and he can read it to you too. The Story of Noah is the first of four children's books Pastor Chuck has written for kids three years of age and up. It's never too early to start reading to your children timeless Bible stories filled with exciting facts and practical application for kids taught by Pastor Chuck. And as a gift, 
Each book contains an audio CD of Pastor Chuck actually reading the story of Noah so your kids can read along. To order your copy, call the word for today at 800-272-WORD or to see a sneak preview of the story of Noah, also now available as an iBook digital download, you can visit us online at thewordfortoday.org. Again, the number to call 1-800-272-WORD. 